You're listening to The Outspoken Bible, a podcast from Scottish Bible Society with Fiona Stewart, Neil Glover and Jen Robertson. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 4 of The Outspoken Bible. I'm Fiona Stewart and I'm joined by Neil Glover and Jen Robertson. Hello to you both. Hi Fiona. Hi. Neil, Jen and I actually, we've actually had quite a lot of contact with one another in the last week because we've been working on Christmas resources for SBS and we've also been in a little poetry uh, group that have been producing some stuff. So Jen and I have seen quite a lot of each other. Um, Jen, do you want to tell us a little just bit Just drop about... that in. Just tell me that... <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just in the spirit of we've missed you. We would have liked to, you know... <laughs> That's not where I went, first of all. Poetry. Yeah, and interesting that. Just we've, we've noticed that. We'll move on. All oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> you do that in your missional community when people expose the vulnerabilities. Ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we noticed. Let's move on. Anyway, so you and Jen are very, very good friends and have a rich hinterland beyond the life of the podcast. Anyway, keep going. Neil, I like to just, think that you, and, you and I are also very, very good friends. I mean, sometimes we come on here and say that we've been on TV or something, and Jen's yes, been excluded. Once. And I have. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not going to go down this jealousy route because Jen is not to the least bit true. I love the fact that you and Jen have a rich, long-standing friendship. I mean, to be honest with you, this was just a quite lengthy introduction to the fact that Jen's going to tell us about the Christmas resources <laughs> from SBS. Yes, and it's I'm only been she's going to do it in rhyme. You know, so. But none of my poems rhyme, really, because that's like an extra bit of work. If you go to scottish.bible forward slash Christmas, uh, all our Christmas resources are now ready to order and they will be leaving the distributors, I think, about middle of next week. But you can get your orders in now. And there's there's three items. So there's Christmas Journeys, which I've talked about before, which is a family resource. And you get a lovely map of the world and eight you know, seven activity cards to take you through seven days during Advent, whenever you want to do, use them. Uh, take you through the Christmas story, including when Jesus became a refugee. So it's not just your bog standard Christmas story. It takes you to places maybe other resources don't take you. And uh, as you go through this journey, you also go around the world and hear about some other people and you stick stars on the map. And there's a fantastic podcast uh, that Fiona hosts, which is great to help you and whoever you're with of all ages uh, explore the Christmas story this year and then we've got uh, a light and life gospel which is a version of john's gospel a magazine style it looks really good fantastic have a look at that and our advent reader emmanuel god with us which goes from about the 5th of december right through to the christmas season uh, short bits of scripture and some thoughts for you to reflect on all there uh, all cost a pound per, per, co- per copy uh, so not a lot of money and uh I think the minimum order for Christmas journeys is five and the minimum minimum order of the other two is 10, but a pound a copy. Go and have a look. And if you end up on an ordinary website, because we do have another website, just Google Scot- Scottish Bible Society, there's a wee link that'll take you through to the site. Fantastic. That's great. We'll put some links on the on the show notes as well. So I was, I was okay. just looking as Jen was talking there. So the podcast starts, so you're going in different journeys. Is that right? Yeah. Different, different forms of transport. I mean, is there a donkey in there? Uh, no, no, but there is a camel. camel. Ah, right. Hot, so air, remember, hot air balloon. Yeah, there's a hot air balloon. There's a camel. There's a ship. There's a taxi. Oh, right. Okay, so it's not fancy. from the original Christmas story no, no. then. No, it's world journeys to meet <laughs> other people who have read the Bible and what it's done for them. Uh, how, it's a bicycle. How many are you doing? Is it every Seven. week? Seven episodes. Yeah, and actually, I'm not sure about that. So, Jenna, they're, they're all going to. Be up. They're all going to be out yeah, because uh-huh. people who get used to the resource will. It, it, it's a, it's not like you have to do it on this day. You can do it any day. So the, the podcast will all be there, and you listen in as you go through the resource, whenever that is for you. And I mean, to be honest, the best bit for me has been finding the sound effects. I've had a lovely time. <laughs> it, it's so good, <laughs> very vague. And we have Davy. Oh yes, that actually that's yeah. the best bit. Our young actor. Oh my goodness, he's just. <laughs> I, I feel as though I've spent the week with Davy. It's been absolutely yeah. delightful listening to him read the Christmas story. Um, yeah, so that's all available. Thank you, Jen. That's mm-hmm. great resources that are out there. And um, what we're going to do in this episode is we're going to jump back into the book of Ezra. We're going to pick up at the beginning of chapter seven, where Ezra actually appears. Uh, Neil, I wondered if the, when we when we get into the main event, if maybe you'll give us another of those overviews, because I think that's really helpful for people, isn't it? Reminding us of where we're at and the dates and all that stuff. Um, before we do that, though, we, we have had some correspondence. 
on our on our email address. Yes, at outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org. And it's from Rachel McNeil. And I made a bit of a faux pas here because I actually know Rachel and had forgotten that. Well, I didn't connect the, the email with, with the person that, that I had met before. So she, I think, knows all of us or certainly was very keen to talk to us. She's found the podcast via Gillian Gunn. So well done, Gillian, well done, once Gillian. again spreading the word yep uh she says here and this is i mean no, i don't want to just blow her trumpets but it's it's a lovely um thing that she says i look forward to every episode and love your honesty integrity and humor you guys have been a bit of a lifeline and oh. have helped me stay in tune with god when church has felt has often felt hard like it has for many over the pandemic Jillian, oh sorry neil you're not gonna like this bit jillian was right we do love jen <laughs> it's okay i'm bigger <laughs> I'm, I'm able to handle this and i've found her passion for multi-generational worship inspiring we're hoping to start home groups that include children going forward in our church but here in inverness we also love neil and fiona too <laughs> yeah I just say that's a lovely the, email thank you Rachel. Email. also she yeah. was in aberfeldy she was in aberfeldy in october for a week's holiday oh is she they yeah they went to your church on youtube and they thought that actually here you go neil uh, my kids, aged 10, 9 and 6, thought it was amazing that the minister was giving a sermon from a panel oh, in the river. Thank you, Rachel. Keep up the good work. God bless Rachel McNeil. Thank you, Rachel, for that. Yeah, yeah and if anybody else wants to get in touch with us. Yeah, please. What's outspoken. the email address again? It's outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org. Great. Or you can do it via social media, SBS social media. And I hope we can hear from Rachel once they've had their intergenerational Bible study groups using Grace Gatherings, another SBS oh, resource, yes. and see how it went. That would be great. Yeah, that's fantastic. Good. And I, also check out the Christmas stuff because I think they'll yeah. like that too. Um, so anyway, <laughs> that's all the announcements for today. Um, without further ado, the intimations. It's time, <laughs> the intimations. It's time for Glover's Off. There's only one show in town this week for Glover's Off. It's COP, COP26. The 26th cop um, and a i've been talking to friend of the podcast laura less waste laura who i just think's a total star and um she is she's there re representing tier fund she's part of the blue zone so i was first of all curious what are the different zones so she did explain this to me she there there are a number of different groups of people there are technical people there are the un delegates who represent each country there are the media and journalists, and then there are people who are observers and are sent by organisations. And she's going on behalf of Tier Fund, and that's the blue zone. There's also the green zone, I think, which is members of the public, where you can go. And it's a what happens, she was telling me, is that there's different themes for each day. So the first few days were world leaders. Then there was finance. A, yesterday was, I think, oh no, yesterday was an announcement made about coal. So what happens is they all go in to different... Uh, rooms, uh, UN delegates, and they, they negotiate. And I think the announcement yesterday was something like 190 people had agreed to end coal, I think some by 2030 and some by 2040. My understanding of the environmental task that is facing COP is to keep temperatures as close to 1.5 rise as possible. Even a small difference between 1.5 average and 1.6 makes a massive difference. I think um, if it gets up to two, I think we lose all the coral reefs. Whereas if we have a 1.5, I think we keep 30% of them. So, and it's all about preserving the, keeping carbon in the ground, either by stopping it getting out into the air or by building sinks to, to hold carbon. So, Laura was was fantastic. She she says, you know, I'm very aware of all the the problems with cops. Uh, I think she's talked about, you know, the prices, uh, some of the kind of just nonsense that goes around with lots of people saying all the things that they do. But she was talking about the tremendous spirituality that there is there, and she told me a couple of lovely stories. One was that I think Tear Fund had had a prayer meeting yesterday, and uh, a female delegate I think came and was just so utterly moved at the way people were praying for COP. And another thing that had happened, I think Graham McMeekin, who heads up to your fund in, in Scotland, he had gone on a prayer walk, taking people on a prayer walk yesterday. And uh, once again, another delegate had come along who doesn't have a faith connection. I was just utterly blown away by uh, what was what was happening. And I said to Laura, is this like a taste of heaven? And she, she paused, first of all, because I think you know, the journey has not been without its difficulties and a, both inside and out. But actually she said, yes, it's just a wonderful sense of connection of all the different nations coming together to work out how we live well uh, within 
uh, our planet and 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 look towards our future together. So, um, yeah, Glover's Office this week um, is about COP26 and go, Laura, go to your fund and go all those who sense that their discipleship to Jesus Christ, who came not just because God loved the people of the world, but because God loved the world that he gave his only son, who faithfully are following that call in the world of COP26 as we record this today. So Glover's office, COP26. Fantastic. Can I just push back on one thing you just said? Though? Yeah. I think we artificially separate God's love for the world and God's love for people. I think these are highly, highly integrated things. Oh, yeah, it, I, yeah, I, sorry. I get irritated when the climate discussion becomes all about the planet because the planet is the, also the people who live on the planet. You know, it's not... Oh, it's not right, yeah, I yeah. I know that's not what you meant, but I, I yeah, just Yeah, but, but are, are you <laughs> pushing into a debate which says let's a form of environmentalism which is all about... Um, it's quite dehumanised. Yeah, all about looking after resource, but takes no account of the impact on people of within those situations. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, I really kind of, and this really gets into the complexities of this, and I think we need conversations. So one example would be in Africa, the conservation of lions, which for many people in Western countries, these are what's called charismatic megafauna. It's, it's, sure. it's lovely, lovely lions. But if you live in Africa... Lions are utterly terrifying. People hate lions. I'm not saying all people in Africa hate lions, but but if you live in a village where there are lions being terrorized, and it's it's that kind of Western romanticism which doesn't take account of what the lived lives are of, of people yeah. who have to engage with those decisions. Is that what you were you've meaning? Yes, you've articulated that much more clearly than, than I was able to. <laughs> and there's there's many other issues like that around renewable energy, yeah. like cobalt mining and what we're doing to the people who are mining for that is it's a it's a very complex um issue yeah. isn't it? and may i just say neil jen has written a poem this week on the topic of mining which is very moving beautiful about her, her grandfather who worked in the steel industry oh. and the impact um well, all about yeah about this yeah various industries that pour out pollutants yeah and the history of them. Can, yeah. can the poem go on the show notes Yes, it can do. And also people can find those poems. So that's a, a foolproof creative arts initiative where you can find those poems if you search the hashtag foolproofhope26. So foolproofhope26. And um, Jen has been faithfully writing every day, as have I. And uh, yeah, it's just really, it's been really interesting to see what people, people how people respond um, in a creative way to, to what's being discussed. Can I just do one other advert, which is another friend of mine, Cameron Mackay. Um, I don't know if Cameron listens to this, but he is producing a daily podcast, the COP26 Daily. Uh, and you can find that really helpful little interviews and updates. Oh, and, great. And he's in at the heart of the Blue Zone and, and, and doing that. So big shout out to Cameron for doing that. Jen, I just have an aside question here. Um, you're writing a poem every day. Does that is that making your poetry muscles get stronger? It's been great. What Fiona does is she, or foolproof, foolproof as Fiona, um, what they do is put up a prompt word at 10 o'clock in the evening. And so what I've been doing is going to bed, falling asleep with that word in my head. So we've had leadership and money and energy and youth all linked to the COP themes for each day. And then when I wake up early in the morning, as I do, um, I then formulate that into something before I start work for the day. And yes, um, if you end up on my blog, if you follow these links that Fiona's mentioned, you'll see that there's sometimes there's been years between my poetry or my writing. Uh, and to do something every day is is brilliant. And, you know, using different styles. And But but I think all everything I write is very embedded in just my ordinary everyday. Listeners of the podcast won't be surprised. Um, so it's been really good to think, how, how does this big theme connect with me and my lived experience and other people that I've known? Really, I, I mean, you need to keep doing it, Fiona, really, probably. Yeah, find a way to do it. It's, it's all connected to a kind of broader thing, which is poems of hope, which is yeah. trying to speak speak hope into these into these big issues that we're facing in the world. Anyway, let's turn to Ezra. Let's think about Ezra chapters 7 to 10. Now, the last time we spoke about Ezra, we were talking about Zerubbabel, um, and we talked quite a lot about the place of worship in community. And I think it, it all felt, well, my reflection on it was that it felt quite hopeful, quite organised, quite visionary. 
today we're getting to the kind of gnarly day-to-day reality of life for people who've returned from exile and and we are going to touch probably on some quite hard topics around that um hopefully helpfully and um, neil i did wonder if you could start us off maybe though with a reminder of where we're up to in the narrative there have been a number of attempted returns and attempts to restart basically the life of Israel after the exile. I think that's the first point to make, that these great restarters, these great rebuilders, there are many, many false starts, or not false starts, but starts which don't quite reach the expectations that they have. But actually those attempts are really important part of the story. So the people are exiled in the year 586. That's uh, the end of the book of uh, Second Kings. And uh, they're taken off to Babylon. That's uh, the, the country of Judah. It's taken off. They return with the famous uh, cylinder of Cyrus when he says, go back, uh, 539. And they begin to rebuild the temple. They have several attempts. And eventually the temple is dedicated in the year 516. And that takes us to the end of, of Ezra. So, uh, chapter 6. So that's already about 70 years uh, of, of a story. But then we have another 58 years and there are uh, 58 years between the end of Ezra 6.22 and Ezra 7.1 uh, because this is the start of the reign of Artaxerxes. Now, if it's Artaxerxes the first, which in, would fit with the order of the Bible here where Ezra comes before Nehemiah, then this is year 458, so that's 58 years. Um if it's um, if it's Artaxerxes the second, which is what some scholars think it is, then it's another three hundred ninety-eight uh, BC. So it's another fifty years. Anyway, the point being, there's a long gap, and Ezra is now returning, and he arrives in Ezra chapter seven, verse one, and we're going to look at his story today. And uh, thank you. That's that's really helpful. The surprising thing to me, actually as we've read the whole book, is, is that Ezra doesn't appear until until this chapter. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Um, Jen, what was your response to, to reading these four chapters? I always like your overview of how you've got on. <laughs> it, it's really difficult, these four chapters. And so we ha- my first reaction was, here's Ezra, he really knows his stuff. That's really emphasised again and again, that he knows the law, he's well, so well-versed in it, and that God is with him. And then there's Ezra weeping and crying because he's realised the people have married with other people groups and they've had children. And so we have this community gathering, which one we encouraging about was that it was an intergenerational gathering. Um, And then in some process, which does seem to involve individual families, all these women and children are are banished uh, from the people of Israel. And... I hope today we're go- we are I know we're going to talk about this and how we can deal with it, but I I I I struggled because these women are you know they've been brought into this situation they've got no power the children have no power and what happened to them you know are they they just abandoned with no income with no food with no their community everything's taken away from them and so it it was not an easy read and yet here is Ezra who God is with and who knows who knows his stuff and this is the outcome at the end of these verses that chapters that we read yeah so there's a couple of things i think that that would be interesting to pick up initially so so one is about ezra himself and i think neil it would be helpful to hear you were talking before we, we started recording about how ezra and 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 how he's held within with, within judaism particularly um compared to how we, we maybe would dismiss him a bit i think mm. in our christian understanding um, but also Neil, again, I think you were talking about different ways of reading this text yeah. and different responses to it that, that maybe play into something that, that Jen's talked about there. So do you want to tell us about Ezra, first of all? Yeah, and this goes right back to something that as Christians, we need to learn with a little bit of humility. Christians generally think they know a lot more about Judaism than they actually do. It's quite a common thing for People, for Christians to say that Judaism is the religion of the Old Testament, and then it just stopped. But actually, Judaism primarily is, is, if I could say this, is defined in relationship to another sacred text, which is the Talmud. And the Talmud is a textual tradition which builds on Torah, builds on the law and, and the, the, the Hebrew Bible, but 
but then creates a, a, a story of text and interpretation. It's fantastic, actually. It's full of lots of rabbis arguing with each other. But that textual tradition finds its roots in Ezra. Ezra is the great starter of the revival of a sense of Judaism which is rooted in text. That's why so often we read Ezra, he was skilled in interpreting the law. And there's a there's a famous uh, Jewish text which is in the Mishnah, which is at the core of the Talmud, uh, which which traces the history of the Jewish story back to the Great Assembly and to Ezra. And the Great Assembly, which we'll, we'll come to when we come to Nehemiah, is a gathering of the scribes. And that textual tradition comes through great names like Hallel and Shammai and, and actually comes into the Pharisees who we, we meet in the Gospels. And uh, people who study Judaism are at pains to point out that, as somebody has put it, we meet the Pharisees having a bad hair day in the Gospels. They're actually kind of the heroes who preserve the Jewish tradition. Mm. So Ezra's at the heart of that. He's a great hero. Um, One of our teachers, Yvonne Sherwood, who taught us Judaism, I remember once announcing from the start of the class, the Nazis didn't get many things right, but they got this right. And we were all like, what? You can't say anything about the Nazis. And she said, they understood that if you wanted to attack Judaism, you should burn books. And that relationship of Judaism to text is finds its roots in Ezra, the great scribe. So we, we need to say, first of all, that, that Ezra is a hero. He, he's a person who comes back and he rebuilds and he reforms and he sets Judaism on a path in which the text is honoured and revered and, and shapes a people. Great. That's that's really helpful. Actually, that's that's really helpful. I think as 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 we come to the next question, which is around how we address these chapters in particular and how how we read them. So the problem I think really we're talking about with the chapters is is the story of the intermarriages, which is really happening from nine and ten. So we're I think we're great with seven and eight. We we love the committed. Ezra, who is the man with a mission, with humility, who weeps for the sins of his people and who leads the people courageously in rebuilding the the temple. And we love the stories, for example, of him refusing a bodyguard because he wants to be wholly reliant. We love the story of God uh, providing people for them and and the sense that God's hand is behind the empire, uh, helping them out. It almost makes it more problematic when we come to 9 and 10 because it seems established. Here's a man who God is with. And then suddenly we hit this issue of of intermarriages. And I think there are broadly five ways that we can come and address this. The first, which we'll come to maybe in a bit, is simply to say this is a story of costly discipleship, that you have to obey what God says. And it's quite clear, certain parts of Deuteronomy, uh, for example, that there should be no intermarriage and these people have been disobedient. And if you've been disobedient, then you have to set that right. Um, the problem with that, uh, well, we'll come to this later, but it, it's the, the whole issue of harm. What about these children and women who are sent away in a very vulnerable position? What about the ripping apart of this family life? What about the long legacy there has been of, of people who have engaged in mixed marriages? I'm thinking about the story of slavery, for example, and those children are cast off as an embarrassment. I think of somebody who genuinely came to me six or seven weeks ago, uh, someone who is an adult and is a Christian, and said to me, can you help me? Is it true that it says that in the Bible, the children of mixed marriages are cursed? And I had to answer, well, I'll maybe come on to some of the answers, but this person had lived with this. And this person, by the way, came from a mixed marriage. So that, that was very real to them. So the first reading is the cost of discipleship. You just have to obey. The second one is the one that says uh, that was that was all right in those days, that that was what was needed then. And that sometimes in the Bible, certain things are asked at certain times which don't apply for the whole of the Bible. So that's one reading. The, the, the problem with that reading is, is it ever right to, to do that to families? Is that okay then? Yeah. The third... Yeah, you, you earned quite shaky ground with that, don't you? Because then... Yeah. All ethics are, are shiftable. And, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a uh, massive question that you, you come to in uh-huh. the conquest narrative of, of Joshua, uh-huh. where people are told to kill women and children. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, th- the third, and this is where I begin to move towards things which 
I, I personally would advocate, are that this has to be read in the context of the whole Bible. And there is a tension here. And there are other, other texts, for example, the story of Ruth, who specifically is a Moabite, uh, and Ruth and Boaz's marriage would have been uh, separated in, in this uh, text. And uh, to say that we have to read this in the context of the whole Bible, we have to read the fact, and this was the answer I gave to my a person who came and said, are people in mixed marriages cursed? And I said, no, because if that were the case, then Jesus would be cursed because he came from a family which had mixed marriages in it. And famously, of course, Matthew's genealogy uh, has five women in it, and four of those women came from dif different ethnic backgrounds to people of Israel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They, so there, there's something about attention. I think as well, we have to recognize that what's going on here is that an ethnic group is under attack. And this is the fourth reading. This is a, a reading which you might be called ethnic realism. It's all very well for Western commentators of their nice liberal enlightenment backgrounds to say, oh, isn't that terrible? Uh, th and this has an anti-Semitic uh, tone sometimes. Those terrible Jews, that's what some commentators have said. You can find this in some biblical commentaries. Those terrible Jews keeping people out, whereas us Christians are are much better at welcoming in people from different nations. And that reading, firstly, is hugely anti-Semitic, but also fails to recognize that when an ethnic group is under threat, it has to do things like um, be very attentive to things like family trees. That's why you get family trees in all sorts of different places um, and has to protect its ethnic life. And if it doesn't take some of these radical steps, for example, taken here, then it, it will not be protected. What's interesting is if you look at the numbers of the people that are affected, it's relatively small. I think in Ezra chapter 10, there are 27 divorced individuals, and that compares to 4,630 people who had returned. So it's, it affects 0.58% of the population. Um, so is it that bad? I mean, I, I still think for those 27 people, it was, it was horrific. Uh, but yeah, that's that's one way of reading. And finally, which comes from people like Peter Enns and Rachel Held Evans, they would say simply this is a text which records what happened. It records the fact that a heroic leader also did something horrendous. It's a fact that a, we look at this text and actually we'll come to these people. We're, we're told that some people object. The text always creates a hole where we actually have to say, no, I I stand here with those who objected to this happening and this was not right. But it's important that we record the fact that in the name of religion, sometimes terrible things are happening. So in summary, there are five, I think, potential readings. One is this is a story of obedience. Second, this is a story of changing morality. Third, this is a story which has to be set in tension with the whole of the rest of the Bible. Fourthly, this is a story about ethnic realism and how ethnic groups have to protect themselves. And fifthly, this is a record about bad things being done in the name of religion. And actually, we should read this text and say this was wrong. I think that's a really helpful place to start, Neil, because we, and we've talked about this previously on this podcast, but partly the reason why we have this podcast is about helping all of us to understand how to read the text well. So whether that's about the, you know, the proclamation that we, we talked about at the very beginning of, of 2020, when we're talking about speaking out scripture, or whether it is that coming at the text with a, a critical eye that, that understands we're not just there to, to cherry pick the good bits. And we, again, we've talked about that or the bits that we like, I say the good bits. Um, and certainly, I mean, speaking personally, we, we in our mission community, we've been studying Nehemiah over the last few weeks. And I, I've been very conscious of that, that it, you can very quickly draw the, the the kind of key leadership principles out of Nehemiah. We'll, we'll talk about that next time, potentially, um, without really questioning, well, is, is this the right thing that was done here? Or is this is this simply a record of something? It, it, um, how does that, how do we read that in the context? And we're, we're so quick, aren't we, to jump to application and to making sense of it in with with a, a New Testament eye, but also a, a how does it apply to me eye, I think. So yeah, thank that that's really helpful. Thank you. And and is there a place for simply weeping with these women and children? And you mentioned Rachel Held Evans, Neil. And in her book, um A Year of Biblical Womanhood, if you haven't read it, uh, please have a look. And so in that book she um attempted to live as 
literally how the Bible describes women should live. And it's fascinating. And so there is quite a lot of um, criticism and analysis of what the Bible says about women. But at the end of each chapter, there's also beautiful reflection on what that means for us as followers of God today. And there's she she is talking, the thing I'm thinking about, she's talking about the story, I think it's in Judges, when the the guy says to God, when I get home, I'll sacrifice the first thing that comes out of my house. And he ends up sacrificing his daughter. And she talked about a Jewish tradition that she'd un- uncovered um, for herself as she wrote the book of when Jewish women get together and they weep for the women in their in in, in the text that they follow um, who have been damaged and destroyed and they just have a day of mourning with women of all ages. They get together and, and they, they mourn for them. And I found that incredibly helpful with passages like this. When, and as you say, Fiona, I can look at this and I can think, well, they know it was good. They spent three months talking to the families and they did take time and we don't know what those conversations were. We don't know what happened to the families that the women and children that were dismissed, but there's a place for just saying, this is painful and sad and I need to, I need to mourn with God about this. And Jen, before before we started, you were you were talking about uh, somebody that Neil mentioned there, which is Peter hmm. Ends. Yeah, and, and I thought that was a, a very helpful statement. Yeah, I'm not quite sure if um, what I find helpful about Peter Ends actually applies into this story, but I think it's a, a general helpful thing. So in his book called "The Bible Tells Me So: Why Defending Scripture Has Made Us Unable to Read It," he talks about. A, a lovely little turn of phrase which is God let his children tell the story and he compares that to his children uh, going into the school playground as like age six or seven and they, they're talking about their dad and they're saying all the things their dad does and who he is but he comments that that, that is only a small picture of him as a person your child has a, a narrow view they don't have the whole picture of their parent either parent doesn't need to be a dad um and so in some ways, some parts of scripture, we have to remember that it's it's God's children that are telling the story. And so they, they don't have the full picture of what God was doing. I'm having a Bible study <laughs> with three uh, teenagers uh, fortnightly at the moment. We've been doing it for a long time, quite a long time now. And we're dealing with some quite difficult parts of the Old Testament. And we've, all, we've often talked about that. So there was a bit in Kings we were talking about the other day where uh, it says God sent these lines and it killed the people. And we're like, you know, did, did God really send the lines or, or did the lines just happen to be there and it was interpreted as the lines? Now, I'm sure that can be slightly problematic, but it is also helpful as we explore parts of the Bible that are we're uncomfortable with and we struggle with. I feel lions are the motif for this, <laughs> this conversation. <laughs> should be the, the cover art, should be a picture of a lion. Um, so, I was sorry, just yeah. about lions. I was thinking about deer as well in Scotland. I just realised recently that if we have too many deer, they destroy all the all the trees, and mm-hmm. we 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 need more trees, and we've got so many deer that they they're destroying the trees. And yeah, we're not let's not get into culling of deer, but well, no, the, are the folks around us get about. a number each year yeah. that they told they're told yeah. they have to kill mm-hmm. by yeah, the Scottish so. Conservation Trust. There's always a bigger picture. There's always a bigger picture. That's the again. That's mm-hmm. the that's the phrase for the day. <laughs> picture line in that phrase. Can I can I ask a question? Mm. Um, I I think. Both Ezra and Nehemiah are portraits of a certain form of muscular, masculine leadership, and they they tell the story of its strengths. That it you know it's through these people that a, a tradition is established, and the walls are rebuilt. But it's it's also a story of how that form of leadership can can have huge fallout around it. I, I'm wondering. You know, both Fiona and Jen, you've been around male, well, sometimes muscular leaders. How how do you respond to the text on that sort of a level? Well, I'm intre- I think because having read Ezra so much in the past few months because of this podcast, I understand what you're saying, but there's moments that he's he's is he is he his softer side or his more broken side is exposed. So he. He is weeping and crying and pleading, and then he, he does seem to he does speak with people. He takes time with people. It's it's not just him. That's one of my encouragements from this that it, it, he wasn't just this is what God said and this is what we're going to do. There 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 was um, conversation and involvement and collaboration, whereas the kind of 
people you're describing, Neil, I wonder that my experience would be the opposite of that. It's using, you know, they're using their power to just say, this is it. You've got no place in this conversation. I'm not going to listen to you. And just bulldozing through with what they want to do or what they think is right. If I can just ask, I see that that emotional side, but I, I don't see empathy there. Well, there is conversation and, and collaboration. Mm. Yeah. Is there not? Ezra, the pre-selected men who were family heads, one from each family division, um, and they sat down to investigate the cases. Mm. And by the first day of the first month, they finished dealing with all the men who had married foreign women. Now, how many months was? I don't want to assume it's 12 months. How many months would it have been? Anyway, so that's a few months. And now I know, he, and he is talking to men, obviously, because that's the culture. And 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 what I struggle with as a woman, and and it shouldn't just be because I'm a woman, but there is, it seems that the women who and the children who are going to be so damaged by these decisions are just not there. Yes. Where they brought later on when they have the conversations with the families, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> so I'm, I mean, I see where you're coming from, Neil, but actually, what, as reading it again, I, I, there was in some ways what there was a sense of community rather than just Ezra doing his stuff. Rather than the command and control, it was a, there was there are elements yep. of collaborative leadership there. I think the the way I would respond, Neil, is is I, I, th- I, th- I th- maybe I know more about the story of Nehemiah. Maybe maybe I've spent more time reading Nehemiah and you know people preaching on it and reading books about it and all the rest of it over the course of my life. So so I suppose I speak with more confidence around Nehemiah than Ezra. But I, I am challenged about this about Ezra is. Not so much what you're going after there in terms of how I respond as a woman to male leadership, but what does mm. it look like to be a female leader? Mm-hmm. Because it, because I think the models of leadership that we are presented with, it, to some extent, encourage women to almost adopt that model. No, I'm not saying that's a male model of leadership. Mm-hmm. It just happens to be be practiced in 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 yeah. these texts by male so there is a masculinity to that so but I don't I wouldn't want it to be heard that I'm saying oh that's masculine leadership that's female leadership but but I think I recognize in 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 myself but also in when I look at other female leaders sometimes there is that temptation to to, to fit into the mold of what mm. what the culture is telling us leadership should look like so the classic example with Nehemiah we, we talked about this last time is is that he is, um, you know, it's kind of business model leadership, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So you you extract the principles of how he strategizes, and then you say, well, that's good biblical leadership. Mm. Is that? I, I suppose. I suppose what I'm what I'm saying is, I think as I'm getting older, um, and and I suppose some of the knocks of life and some of those experiences with with that quite um, defined masculine leadership those things have have taught me that it's okay to lead a different way yeah so it is okay yeah. to, to and and it's interesting to set that against jesus leadership mm-hmm. isn't it mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. jesus always knocks this this away yeah yeah because <laughs> he's not the, the kind of typical example of how we, we would view strong masculine leadership but he is exercising strong masculine leadership it just looks different it's a different it's actually it's a stronger kind of strength it's a stronger strength it's the strength, the strength of gentility. Gentility is that one? Gentile, gen- gentleness. gentleness. <laughs> I, I read about some research in one of these big tech companies. I think it was Google, where they tried to work out where their teams were succeeding and where they weren't, and they did a huge analysis. All the people in task, all the questions, and when they they came out, the the thing that they recognised that were present in all the teams that were performing was that there was a safe emotional space for for people to live and to thrive. And if you robbed people of that, then then the team would cease to perform. But if you created it, then they would. And suppose what you're getting at is forms of leadership which create that emotional space. Would that be fair? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think so. And also, do you know, I think the danger is that we, we make this a bin- binary, no pun intended, question. Actually, I think the best leadership is that collaborative leadership that is female and male. Yeah together and and there is this other wee moment in chapter 10 of Ezra uh, the first verse while Ezra was praying and confessing weeping and throwing himself down before the house of God must be a bit of a sight I think a large crowd of Israelites men women and children gathered around him and they too wept bitterly now is it a leap too far to say that in his openness of his grief he was creating that space of and that's an in 
I mean, how often does that happen in the Old Testament that men, women and children are mentioned? I, I, okay, there's a thought I can't help but have here. I'm really sorry, which is I read that and I, I've seen people do that as a, as a kind of power play. I'm not, I'm not seeing it. I'm, I'm not saying that Ezra's mm-hmm. done that here, but I've seen people just let it be known how religiously serious and upset they are by certain mm-hmm. things that people have done and how much they're weeping and mourning over it. And that creates a kind of emotional energy as well. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's just where but I we go don't know. That. But we don't know, do no, we? No, we don't. We don't know. No, it could be. It, it could be. It could be genuine yeah. or it could be manipulative. We just, we don't know. Yeah. Except that his prayer in, in chapter nine, it begins, I'm, I too am ashamed and disgraced, my God, to lift up my face to you because our sins are higher than our heads and our guilt has reached the heavens. It, you know, that, that, that feels genuine it's, unless it's just said for. I know, <laughs> it, 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 because he's, he's genuinely, it's like Paul seeing himself as part of Israel. It's, it, you know, Ezra deep, I mean, that, yeah, that's, he definitely identifies really strongly with his people. I think as well, again, you said not to be binary, if you know, but the whole male and female leadership thing, I think I think there's a introverted, extroverted thing going on as well in leadership. Mm-hmm. And often extroverted leadership is lauded and praised, mm-hmm. um, whereas introverted leadership is not. I've just started reading a wee book called Quiet, can't oh, yes. the name. Yeah, yes. but to be fair, although I, I very much am an introvert, I couldn't find the time to keep reading it, which is slightly ironic. But one of these wee, sto- wee stories he told was of a, a female lawyer who was struggling because she was an introvert and she had a very gentle manner, and it, it just told her story of how actually she became the lawyer that most clients wanted in her company in the firm because of her introversion. And I think we need to recognise that as well in the church that. Introverts can be great leaders, and they don't mm-hmm. have to be loud, outgoing. Um, but you know, it can be in a quiet, gentle way. And I think I've learned I've learned quite a lot about that through lockdown. Mm-hmm. The whole the largeness of my introversion. So that is partly why I'm adding that in because I think that impacts things as well. Maybe, maybe not greater than your biological sex, but it's a huge part of it. I think there is a flip side to that though. I think there's a flip side where I have known people who are introverted in leadership settings and people assume there's wisdom. Mm. And sometimes mm. there's not wisdom. It's, oh, it's yes, introversion yes. and actually there is yeah. a, there is wisdom in the extrovert too. I, I'm not just saying that to you know, defend no, the extroverts no, 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 no. amongst <laughs> But you, you know, I think I think we just yeah. have to be a little bit careful around some of that stuff too. So uh, maybe none of these things are the important. It's mm. your whole attitude yeah. and your kind of, yeah. 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 I've seen a kind of veneration of the kind of quiet, modest, humble soul and actually mm-hmm. that person just prevents you taking risks. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, so very wise. Um, yeah. Yeah. Once that as an introvert, I think I think I've had to adapt and be. I had to have extroversion in my nature, so it wasn't difficult. But I've had to. It, I, my, my response to that is that I, well, I had to change rather than being myself uh-huh. for a lot of what uh-huh. I did, and I learned. I learned that wasn't what I was to do. And actually, you know, God uses you as you are and your gifts, and you know, I've learned that over the years. But how how you've described it, it reminds me of that feeling of you're not you're not good enough, you know, you need to be a different kind of person. Mm -hmm. Do you think Ezra might be an introvert? Mm. I mean, he says quite a lot. (laughs) Well, he does say a lot, but he reads a lot of books. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Maybe he sat in the happy, happy And he did take three months to talk to all the families. I keep going back to that. Yeah. (laughs) Mm Yeah, yeah, that is interesting, isn't it? Um, Although talking, that's a problem. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed. Can I can I move on to talk about the the people who stand up in opposition mm. to the plan? Um, so we're talking about Jonathan, and I've lost the other name because it's hard Jazzy-i. to see. Uh, Jonathan Sabasahel, Yaziah, Yaziah, and that's in verse fifteen yeah. of chapter ten. So these these two men stand up and say, "We don't think this is right. What's going on?" They they didn't support. Um, and Mishulam and Shabbatai. Yeah, Mish- yeah, I was just looking at that and thinking, yeah, we've actually got four people in there. Sorry, I said two. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so they were they were quite strong in standing up to, to Ezra and to Shechaniah. Yeah. How, how, what do we make of of that? Is there are there things we can learn about how we how we oppose? 
how we can we go forward when our opposition is not heard. Yeah, honest answer. I love these four people. Mm-hmm. I just wondered what they were opposing, though. I think they're opposing the plan to. Yeah. Well, but they're opposing the plan for everybody to come at a set time and have a chat about it. Oh, I see. And I wondered if they were actually fiercer and that we wanted to kill everybody. Oh. Just straight out. Hadn't thought about that, Jen. I could be completely wrong, but that's how I read it, because their opposition is for the plan. I don't think their opposition... Is their opposition... I'm, I'm, I'm asking the question. Is their opposition to the children and women being sent away? Is it opposition to having this kind of process? And really, they just want to get rid of them now. And they want to be deal with it. more cruel. Be done and move on. I don't know. I, 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 <laughs> I mean, it's not clear. I've, I've always read it as we've got a plan to go. We need to separate ourselves from the wives. It's raining really hard. We can't do it now. I thought that was interesting. The, the rain thing was was really interesting, wasn't it? We're in the rainy season. We've got to sort of this out. Yeah. Um, let's go and do it on a regionalised power structure as opposed to centralised. And they opposed it. So what are they opposing? Are they opposing, are they opposing regionalisation or are they opposing marriage separation? I don't know. I think, that it's one of, I think it's one of these holes in the text where you're invited to go. It's like the story of Hagar. You know, the, it's impossible. I think it's impossible to read Hagar's story in Genesis without feeling for her. And yeah, I was, I was reminded of Hagar actually a lot when I was reading these chapters. Hagar is really important for black, um, black American women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your question stands, Fiona, because you were going to ask us before I, I put in that different angle. But what? Is, how do we oppose? How how do we challenge? And, and I actually was going to, to follow on as well and say it's. I think it's interesting that they are named. Mm-hmm. So the opposition is, it's not hidden. It's not, whatever the opposition is to, it's not, it's not sort of, well, we made the decision and we'll just not mention the fact that mm. a few folks yeah. stood up against whatever that was, but, but they are, they are named and given their, given their family names. And it is very pertinent for our culture just now, because it is increasingly hard in some situations to have an opposing viewpoint. And and it's not because you're being, having an opposing viewpoint, but you want, you want to, lay out the different elements just like we did earlier on when we were talking about COP26 you know there's there's different perspectives and different impacts and sometimes the way often the way things are presented in our culture at the moment when the UK may be broader than that it's difficult to have a different voice and, and I wonder why that is. is is it the nature of the platform of our discussions so we're not having listening conversations we're just throwing out statements so you get put either side and you don't find the middle ground or it's, I just, it's quite relevant I think mm-hmm. how we how we speak out mm-hmm. and how we disagree well do we have anything else we'd like to say <laughs> are we going to go all introvert having <laughs> them sitting in the place of tension yes which is always a place to be it's a good place to be yeah uh, well let, let's wind up today's conversation just with again a takeaway and then Jen we'll, we'll hear what your gems are so what what are our takeaways you're actually going to laugh when I say mine. Well, I say mine first. Yeah. What are you thinking? Why not? Well, because, do you know, on genuinely, my takeaway is I would like to, I, I was really quite challenged about what you said, Neil, about how as Christians we address the Old Testament and the Judaic history. And do you know what I've not done yet? I know. I've not gone to investigate <laughs> all the line. So I think just every time we talk, I think I need to go and do a bit more reading and i would be interested in any book recommendations that would help me do that to engage with things like the talmud very very short introduction to judaism yes that's what i would like oh is that what it's called yeah yeah it's a whole okay. series called the very short introductions <laughs> oh thank you <laughs> i thought you were just building up to tell me what no no that's a very good. short introduction to judaism thank you very much thank you that is my takeaway uh, alongside lots of other things actually yeah I, it just i think the reminder that that jesus and it sounds simplistic but jesus brings he he represents the the coming together of of that and he, he opens this all up for jews and non-jews and um, those who come from families that are mixed in lots of ways um my my takeaway is jen your defense of israel i'm just i was just i was very quick to condemn him or to condemn him in the second part mm-hmm. I, I really like him in the first part um so yeah off to off to ponder three months of family consultations 
<laughs> My takeaway, because when, when I talked about Rachel Held Evans and that more, the, the taking time to mourn for women who were damaged, destroyed, not, not damaged, that's not the right word, ignored, hurt, abused, um, take time to mourn for them again. I'd kind of forgot, not forgotten about that, but reminded to do that. Mm-hmm. And then I suppose, as you say, Fiona, that also takes me to Jesus, who again and again mm. brought in women and in, not just included women, but raised them up to equal mm-hmm. status. And Yeah. Good. Thank you. Thank you both very much. So, Jen, what is your gem for us today? This week, I've been thinking about letting go or maybe more accurately, not holding on too fiercely this may be a better word to um the young people that we have the privilege of spending time with and and it's it's really simple i i'm just all all through my life i've been aware of the tension of no you, you love and care for children and young people that you know in your church family and i have a longing for them to fully know what it mean it is to to know jesus with them and, and to love him and follow him and that is always a tension in that that for me becomes like i'm i'm hanging on to them but I'm not their gods. And, and I think part of what made me think about it was I've had a coffee or lunch with a few people recently who are now really old, <laughs> but I used to know them as young people and they're all over the place and uh, doing different things. And, and, and for many of them, they're still following Jesus. They're in different churches. And that was just a reminder that for the young people I know now, you know, they might, they might go different places. They'll be part of different church families, but I, I'm just here to do what I do now. And, and that is an encouragement for, I think but maybe particularly if you're in a, in a small church and there's just a few young people that if you have any tension about losing those young people and I'm, make, I'm making inverted commas signs, give all that anxiety to God in prayer and don't let that anxiety be shown to the young people as if you were like forcing or manipulating them or to, to be something you want them to be. Just love them and do the job you're asked to do and, and let go. Thank you very much. That's great. Thank you. Uh, next time we're going to be in Nehemiah. So if you're reading ahead, then it's Nehemiah chapters one to seven. So it's all about the walls and the opposition and the calling to go and lead. So all of that stuff, which a lot of which we've sort of begun to speak about actually as we've as we've talked about Ezra. So we're going to be thinking about rebuilding the city, and I'm looking forward to discussing that um, with both of you. It's I, I don't know I don't know I, I'm sure well as Rachel's email said. <laughs> people are benefiting but personally i benefit so i really i'm really appreciative of that thank you and so if you've got any questions about what we're reading or there's anything you want to speak to us about don't forget you can get in touch um that's outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org but otherwise it's time to say goodbye and thank you for joining us and join us next time thank Thank you. you bye 